Hi, everyone. Welcome to the True Crime Podcast, where we focus on San Diego cases. I'm Renette. And I'm Arena. Today, I will be speaking about the Mixtay family. Oh, I think I've heard of that one. Yeah, it wasn't. I think, right? Mm hmm. Yeah. Okay. So it wasn't that long ago. uh, The Mixtay family disappeared on February 4th, 2010. Okay. And yes, they lived in uh, San Diego near Fallbrook. Their bodies were found in the desert near Victorville, California on November 13th, 2013. So about three years later. Oh, okay. Yeah, their disappearance was widely reported on national news media. It was all over. I actually remember um, as a kid, uh, 2010, I was 10. (laughs) (laughs) Why did it take me that long? (laughs) Arena girl. What year was it? Math and it's late. Okay. (laughs) I had a rough week. Um, Okay, so I was 10, but I remember... um, that my parents were watching the news a lot about this disappearance. And I don't know if you remember, Renette, but they would play on the news over Wait, and over the same footage. you could footage. have been 10? Because then that means you would have born in the year 2000? I mean, wait, let's start on... <laughs> I I was 20 years old. I was 20. (laughs) Oh my God. What's wrong with me? I I was thinking Aiden was born in 2009. This bitch ain't 15 years old. (laughs) Oh my God. Uh, We're going to start all over. Oh my God. I'm like hot now. (laughs) It's a damn shame. Oh my gosh. Um, Anyway, I was 20 years old. And I remember <laughs> seeing on the news that um, the video uh, that they would play over and over of like a little family crossing the border. And this was footage. I'm going to talk about oh, it too. right. Into but, Mexico, right? Mm-hmm, in, yep. Crossing into Mexico. Yeah. In San Ysidro. So I, when I saw that, because I read a bunch of articles and saw some YouTube videos, I was like, oh, that looks really familiar. And I totally remembered this, but I didn't remember that it was connected to the Day family. It just mm-hmm. kind of popped up. In 2010, Joseph, age 40 at the time, his wife, Summer, who was age 43, they uh, moved to Fallbrook in November 2009 with their two sons, Gianni, he was four, and Joseph Jr., who was three years old. Okay. Which I thought was weird because they named the younger child Jr., like Joseph Jr. Instead of the oldest. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that is kind of weird. I thought that was weird. Um, They moved into the community known as the Friendly Village. That was the name of the community. Joseph, the father, he owned and operated a company called Earth Inspired Products. And it was a company that built decorative fountains. Oh, how nice. Yeah. And Summer was a licensed real estate agent. Okay. They had moved to Fallbrook from San Clemente. They actually lived out there in an apartment uh, for a long time. And then they bought the house in Fallbrook under foreclosure for about $320,000. Their plan was to renovate the house themselves and then sell it for a profit. Then they're going to move back to the coast. Back to San Clemente. That was their plan. Okay. So on February 4th, uh, 2010, Joseph left the home at around noon and went to 
a lunch meeting with his business associate, Charles Chase Merritt. Okay. Joseph drove the family car, which was a white 1996 Isuzu Trooper. Charles, his business associate, he was a metal worker and a welder, and he made fountains designed by Joseph. So that's okay. how they knew each other. Um, at 5.47 p.m., Joseph and Summer exchanged text messages. These are just the last bits of communication that we know of mm -hmm. from this day of okay. the family. Um, Summer had spoken with her sister on the phone for some time. She recently had a baby. At 7.47, the neighbor's outdoor security camera captured video of the bottom portion of the McStay's family car backing out of their driveway. About an hour later, at 8.28 p.m., Joseph's phone was used to call Charles' cell phone. And okay. there was a cell phone tower pinged in Fallbrook, but the call okay. went to voicemail. Okay. Uh, later on, this is kind of important. This I'm going to go deeper into these phone calls and towers because the investigators went on a crazy deep dive on these. And it basically used to prosecute the guilty party. Okay. Um, later, when the police asked Charles about this, about the phone call, he says that he didn't answer because he was watching a movie. And he thought, I'm just going to call Joseph back tomorrow or later on. Okay. So that was his reasoning. That was literally the last known moment communication from any of the members of the mixed day family. That was February 4th, 2010. Okay. About six days later, yeah, six days later, February 10th, the police went to the mixed day home to check on them because some of their families members and friends were getting concerned after not hearing from them from almost a week and um the police when they got there though they didn't find anything out of the ordinary uh so they just left okay three days later february 13th joseph's brother michael and then charles the business associate stopped by the house they noticed that joseph's pickup truck was there but not the family trooper the white car that he had driven that day mm -hmm. so they went to the backyard and they found the family's two dogs out in the backyard just mm -hmm. alone like were they, they normally like they, inside dogs um i didn't i couldn't find that much information about the dogs they just thought it was odd that the dogs were left outside and okay. that they they looked like they weren't being taken care of so okay. they were this made them even more concerned they did notice that one of the back windows was cracked open, so they were able to get into the house. Um, they didn't really see anything out of the ordinary at first, but as soon as they started walking more towards the living room and the kitchen, they started noticing that there was rotting bananas, there was eggs left out on the counter, um, bowls of popcorn on the couch, like half-eaten bowls of popcorn. There were oh. art supplies laid out everywhere, paintbrushes, like, and then even Summer, the mom, she she had left her prescription sunglasses on the kitchen counter. Oh, which is, okay. Yeah. So that, that's not like a scene where if a family was meaning to go away somewhere, like they wouldn't leave exactly. that the eggs out on the counter and her prescription glasses. Yeah, exactly. And why leave the house like a mess if you're, yeah, planning to leave for a while or mm -hmm. something. So for some reason, they didn't call the police right away, but eventually they did. I think the next day they thought, okay, no, this isn't, 
this isn't the like them to just leave like this. Let's call the police. So then six days after that, on the 19th of February, the police mm-hmm. came to the house and found the following. They found no forced entry, nothing was stolen or missing, and no signs of a struggle and no blood was found. Okay. So that was But weird. that back window was cracked open, but maybe... You know, I probably shouldn't say this, but occasionally I'll leave one of the windows in my home open, even if I'm not home. Yeah. And, and I think uh, they but I got just... a damn security system. So before <laughs> any of you fools think they're trying to do something and I have a ferocious dog named Penny. Oh, Penny. She's the sweetest. I mean, no, she's definitely a ferocious dog. <laughs> she is. <laughs> She'll smile at you. Exactly. <laughs> to death. <laughs> and her nails. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Um, No, but yeah, like when I saw that, I thought, oh, you know, they were probably hanging out in the living room and had the window cracked open to have a nice breeze come in. Mm -hmm. But, but like you said, sometimes leaving the door open, I mean, the window open. But so the uh, police also found some bleach stains on parts of the carpet and then small drops of bleach in the kitchen. Oh, okay. Um, then they found so the house was being renovated. They were still renovating it. There was um like the blue painters tape everywhere, and there right. was like parts of certain rooms that were covered in that plasticky stuff so that none of the okay. paint falls on it. So they found a lot of that, a lot of white paint buckets, brushes everywhere. They also noticed that there was a one of the covers of one of the futon cushions was missing. Hmm. And it was an off-white um, woven type of cover. Okay. So that they thought that was weird. There's just right. like one cushion cover. Yeah. Um. So then the police, the neighbors, they handed over their footage that they caught the day they went missing on February 4th of just that piece of the Isuzu the backing out part. of the driveway. And then they did see that the last call from Joseph's cell phone was made to Charles. Okay. Um, so that's all they had like so far. Slowly they started discovering more and more. They discovered that on February eighth, two thousand ten, this was two days be- uh before the first time the police went to the house, that the family's Azuzu trooper was found near San Isidro, adjacent to the Mexican border, and it was impounded as an abandoned vehicle. Oh. Yeah. Shoot. So they found out about that. They were like, what the heck? What's going on? Police found footage of a family of four walking to the Mexico border on February 8th at around 7 p.m. So the. But they the, don't know for certain if it was them? Mm-mm, they didn't know. At the time, they believed it was because it looked like to be an adult male, adult female, and then two boys to similar ages. And mm. it was around the time when. I guess the car was parked there and it was uh, around the same hour of the footage. So, but the family members, when they saw this footage, they didn't seem to think it was them. They thought, oh, it could be them, but they weren't convinced. But the police were like, like, yes, that's 100%. Yeah, exactly. And of course, the footage isn't that great. It's pretty blurry, but this was basically the only piece of information that the police had because they were trying to figure out what the heck was going on with this family. And the police were starting to think 
did the McStay family leave to Mexico on their own volition? Like, did they just pick up and leave and they didn't want to be found, which was odd because it's like they didn't have any real reason to do this. Right. So, um, and a, uh, another thing the police found was that about a week before the disappearance of the family, Summer had used the family computer to search for Spanish language softwares. And oh. eight days before the disappearance, Summer searched on the computer, what documents do children need for traveling to Mexico? Okay. So that's why I think the police were kind of pushing like, oh, they just wanted to leave. And they didn't right. tell any of you guys, you know. Um, so, and also, Joseph was known to travel a lot. He did a lot of business internationally. He actually owns a small piece of property or owned a small piece of property in Belize. And oh, okay. he was wanting to retire there as soon as, the, you know, him and his wife can go there and spend the rest of their life when they retire. And, um, but when the family heard about this, they didn't know about this already. But they did say that Joseph especially kept telling them, I would love to travel to Mexico, but it's way too dangerous right now because there was a lot of crime, a lot of drug wars. And um, he said that it's just not the best time for him to take his kids, his family over there. Okay. And um, uh, there was like, <laughs> they actually gained a nickname which it's really sad to think about now because we do find out that their bodies were discovered. But at the mm -hmm. time, people just thought they left. And so they started naming them the McWent family, the <gasps> McGone family, Instead the McBuy family. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Instead of the McStay family. <laughs> I, I was funny at first when I was just like, oh, that's no. That didn't. <laughs> yeah, that didn't grow well later, right. later on. <laughs> um. Oh, and when they searched the car, they did find Joseph's inhaler and Summer's passport. Okay, so, so like, then there's no way they're going to, by their own volition, go into yeah, Mexico without that. Without their prescription, like glasses, their medication, the passport. Right. And at the time of the um, disappearance, when they were able to access the accounts just to see if there was any activity... There was no activity in their personal accounts. The only thing that they did see that they uh, their joint account had about a hundred thousand dollars in there, and it was never touched after. Okay, February so 4th. if they were going to leave, they would have pulled that money yeah, out. Exactly, and it wasn't touched ever since, which is odd because it's right. a lot of freaking money. Yeah. Um. So on April twenty in April of twenty ten, the police announced to the media, to everyone saying that they believe the McStay family went to Mexico and they ran, perhaps ran into some drug lords and some foul play occurred and over the border and they just haven't been heard from since. That's what their theory was. Okay. They kind of wanted to just close the case, I guess. So, unfortunately, about two years after their disappearance on November 11, 2013, a motorcyclist named John Bluth was riding his dirt bike in the Mojave Desert of Victorville, California, just west of the 15 freeway. He found human body, human bones. Oh, he man. immediately called the police. Um, the police found two shallow graves, each containing two people. Later, they confirmed that these were the remains of the McStay family. Man. Mm-hmm. 
they named grave A and grave B. Uh, grave A had Joseph and Gianni. Grave B had Summer and Joseph Jr. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. In, um, in one of the graves, there was a rusty three-pound Stanley sledgehammer. And all four victims died from blunt force trauma. Which is like even more awful because to think that they were just bludgeoned bludgeoned to to death. death. Not just the parents, the two babies, like the two little kids. Yes. Um, And um, although Joseph had a white electrical cord around his neck, strangulation was not the cause of his death. I think he had that maybe... Uh, around his neck at some point but the um actual death was from blunt force trauma okay um joseph's lower body had a red strap around it and his body was encased in an off-white woven material said to have been the missing futon <gasps> cushion cover oh, from the that's home. right yeah so his body was encased in that which i don't understand what happened there but yeah um Summer's sweatpants had bleach stains all over it. And, and there was a bleach mark. Mm-hmm. The- there was white paint on the sledgehammer's handle and one drop of the same paint on Summer's bra. Hmm. But this drop wasn't like something that you get when you're being like paint is being thrown at you. It was like as if you're laying down and a, and a drop falls on you and rolls down. So she was laying uh, down when this paint was on her, which I'm sure she was either unconscious dead. or already dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later on, investigators did determine that the paint did come from the same source, the paint inside of the McStay family home. Okay. There was also a small crumpled up piece of blue painter's tape in grave B, matching the paint, the tape from the foam as oh. well. Um, so... Police were focused, very much focused on Charles Merritt because he was the last known person to speak or see any member of the McStay family that day. Okay. And um, Charles also had a record. From 1977 to 2001, he had been charged twice for burglary, three times for receiving stolen property, one for petty theft, one for criminal trespassing, and one for grand theft. Okay, so he was a shady character. He was very shady and, yeah, not a great look. Yeah. Um, his most recent felony conviction in 2001 was for the theft of $32,000 worth of welding and drilling equipment from this company that he was doing business with um, in Monrovia, California. Man. Mm-hmm. So definitely like a pattern of yeah. theft and stuff like that. and. Um, uh, later on, an acquaintance of Charles actually told a San Diego reporter, quote, I think police should look at him and anyone else associated with him. He is not a good guy, unquote. Man. <laughs> I was like, oh, hopefully, I was like, I hope he doesn't see that and come after you. <laughs> right. Um, Charles asked, Joseph, Charles had asked Joseph to borrow money from him on several occasions. And he actually owed Joseph $42,845. Oh, my God. Yeah. He, um, the day that, actually the day that uh, the McStay family went missing, February 4th, Charles was seen 
and several casinos and spending thousands and thousands of dollars gambling. I wonder how he got that money, though. Yeah, I wonder where that came from if he owed money and lots of money. Unless he was able to steal like material or stuff from the Mistay home and like sell it, pawn it. I don't know. Yeah. So I'm actually going to break down everything (laughs) from the how ridiculously like messy and dumb this guy was, even though unfortunately he like, I mean, the the bodies weren't found until almost three years later. But Mm -hmm. as the investigation goes on, it just like so much crap starts to pop up. And it's just so obvious that this guy is from Chase's past. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what he did during the disappearance of the like within the that those few days Mm -hmm. and the the three years as well. Okay. Uh, Charles actually passed the polygraph test and he kept denying uh, having and to know anything about the disappearance of the family and that he wasn't sure why they kept bothering him. Although in interviews, the Charles kept using past tense words. The children were always so energetic. Summer mm. would take the kids to and from school. And at one point in the um, one of the interviews, he actually corrects himself. He goes, Joseph always would always leave the light on. Mm. <laughs> Weird. I'm squinting my eyes. Mm-hmm. Suspicious. Mm-hmm. Um, police asked Joseph's father if he thought Charles was a suspect he said quote i have to have faith in chase or charles chase was his nickname i have to have faith in chase because i have to have faith in my son i believe that joseph trusted chase and believed in chase do i think chase is involved i don't think so and i truly hope not oh man that's so heartbreaking yeah it's scary because it's like they did become friends joseph and charles like they were close joseph was letting him borrow a bunch of money And being like, I mean, not just as a business partner, but as a friend. Yeah, but honestly, I feel like, especially if you're going to go into business with somebody, you should probably do like a credit check and a criminal check of that person just to to look after yourself. Exactly. And it's not saying as if like, it's okay if he probably did see his record and thought, oh, but it's been so long since any of this happened. I'm going to give this guy a chance. Or, oh, maybe he's changed. And that's always good to, you know, try to see if people are trying to be better and make a a better change in their life. But it's so risky. And sometimes you just end up paying the price for it. Mm -hmm. That sucks. Okay, so in January of 2014... Uh, Charles said that he might write a book about the family stating that Summer had anger issues and that Joseph had been ill for some time with a mysterious ailment. This is it within the time that that they had disappeared. So he Did was just like talking about writing a book. come forward and say that um, <laughs> Joseph had this mysterious like illness? Apparently he did. Apparently he did have an ailment oh, okay. that he took medication for, but it wasn't like life-threatening. Like it wasn't. And why the hell is he going to write a book? He wanted like attention. money for his gambling addiction. Yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> but it's just like so scummy and creepy and weird. I don't know. He creeps me. Yeah. I watched a bunch of videos of his face and I just hate him. I yeah. can't stand him. 
Joseph's family did confirm that he had an unexplained illness and that Summer was possessive of her husband, but they called Charles' suggestion that she was responsible for his illness unjustified. And they said that they truly believed that they loved each other and they would never do anything to hurt themselves or the kids. Because how is she going to kill herself if she had blunt force trauma anyway? Right. But whatever. It was just a dumb little tidbit that I found. I thought that was stupid. On November 7th, 2014, which is about one year after the bodies were found, police announced that they had arrested their suspect, Charles Chase Merritt. Oh. Yeah. They finally arrested him. Based off of what? Like they had enough circumstantial evidence? Yes. Yes. So I'm going to go through everything. There's a lot of details about the cell phone records and about QuickBooks, what what, uh, Joseph used for his business. Okay. And how do he wrote checks and stuff. And all of this information is what they gathered after that like year of of finding the bodies and everything. Finding okay. out that they were murdered and not just missing. Um, in Mexico. The, yeah. Yeah. The McGon or the McWent family. Yeah. <laughs> so about four years after the arrest, which I don't understand how it took this long, but January 7th of 2019, the trial begins. And uh, between the time of the mixed day, so this is the beginning of the trial, uh, the prosecutor, um, I I watched this YouTube video of the entire prosecutor's opening statement, (laughs) so much, but I was just like enthralled. Um, So he stated that between the time that the mixed day family disappeared on February 4th and February 19th of 2010, when police searched the house, Several things had been changed or moved. Joseph's mother had cleaned up the home. Joseph's brother, Michael, had removed the computers and then brought them back when the police asked for them when they were able to get a search warrant. Wait, hold on. The mom was cleaning the home after they were gone? After they left, yeah. After they went missing. Was she the person that had the bleach? No, it's just that like things were moved around and they weren't like the, the it was a crime scene, but they weren't treating it as a real crime scene because they really did think that the family was just going to come back at some point. Okay. So the mom went to go clean up um, like things around the house, like the food and stuff like that, but not with the bleach. Okay. Yeah. The bleach was from, remember, well, why the hell seeds. would the police? Okay. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they thought they just left on their own, but that's yeah. like potentially a crime scene. That's what I was saying, and which this happens a lot. There have been crime scenes where like families just like are like, oh, we'll call the police, but let me just vacuum real quick, or I'm gonna right, clean this or up. maybe out of stress, like okay, I'm stressed out. Let me just kind of start cleaning and yeah. get my mind. I try need to, to get do it something. Right. Yeah, stay right. busy. Um, so. Um, investigators found that on February 1st, three days before the disappearance, Joseph's QuickBooks was accessed, not from any of the mixed day home, compu- home computers. It was from an unknown computer. Oh. A new vendor was added, Charles Merritt, all <gasps> lowercase. <laughs> so, but Joseph always typed out the names of the people he wrote checks to or businesses, capitalizing the first letter of each name, like correctly capitalizing. Yeah. But um, if you're familiar with QuickBooks, you know that if you type, start typing something in, case sensitive. If you do a capital C, 
you would have popped up Charles Merritt because right. he already had him in the system. Right. But for some reason, this new vendor was added all over Case Chase uh, Charles uh, Merritt, and so that was already like a red flag, like a error that Joseph would never do everything lowercase. Right. There were several checks that were created and then deleted, but Joseph never deleted checks. He so these either- checks, so obviously um, these checks could have never been cashed because no, they were deleted. They were deleted. Okay. Um, so actually, yeah, because actually that's a good question. Yeah. I think they were able to be cashed because he didn't void them. He just deleted the check on the software on the actual QuickBooks. So itself. thinking if someone went back to the QuickBooks to look at it, they couldn't see this check that was made created. No, only if you looked into the history and saw that a check was created and then deleted. But since okay. Joseph never deleted checks, he never had to look into the the history. History. Yeah. So he didn't notice that what was going on. Um Investigators tracked Joseph's whereabouts on the last day he was heard from by cell phone towers and from his records. And they did this crazy investigation. There's going to be a lot of detail I'm going to say right now, but mm-hmm. hopefully it's it's just really interesting. Okay. So February 4th, the day of the disappearance, yeah. at 11 a.m., a call from Joseph's cell phone called his bank, which was rare because he had never called his bank before. Okay. A few minutes later, he calls Charles's cell phone. After that, 11.56, he signs into QuickBooks and then signs out two minutes later, not noticing that he, there had been checks that were deleted already. Okay. That Charles had created and then deleted. At, two, at 12.15, he calls his bank again while he's, on, while he's traveling on the 15 North towards Rancho Cucamonga. So this is the lunch meeting that he was supposed to meet up with Charles that okay. day. He, I think they were going to meet up at a Chick-fil-A or something. Okay. So Joseph calls Charles at 1252, at 101, and at 303. And that was in Cucamonga. That's where the okay. tower was pinged. That's the day Joseph and Charles met up at Chick-fil-A, yes. The internet usage on Joseph's cell phone during the 101 and 303 call was constant. And during the 1252 call and the 101 call, there were 13 unanswered calls from Charles's cell phone to his girlfriend, Catherine Jarvis, who lived in Rancho Cucamonga. Okay. Catherine then called him back at 1 o'clock. So it's just, these are just little details, but... It's like you can see the panic that they were supposed to meet up. Like this was a whole story that they were supposed to meet up. But so apparently his girlfriend, Catherine, lived near Rancho Cucamonga. And she called him back after their 13 unanswered calls from Charles, like panicking. Right. Right. Joseph called Charles seven times at 3.03 to 3.07 p.m. as he traveled down the 15 South Freeway back home. His oh, last so they must call. have not met up in Rancho Cucamonga. Exactly, and he was like okay. calling him, trying to figure out where he is. The And I'm thinking since he did call the bank twice, which he rarely did, he probably was suspicious of something going on with Of fraud. Chase doing, right. Maybe, yeah. Joseph called Charles seven times between 3.03 and 3.07 p.m. 
He traveled on the 15 freeway back home. The last call was at 548 was Fallbrook in Fallbrook. Okay. After that call, Charles's cell phone goes off the grid, meaning it was either turned off, it was on airplane mode, or mm-hmm. he wasn't near any cell phone towers, like literally in the middle of nowhere. Right. So from 5.48 p.m. to 9.32 p.m., his phone wasn't connected to any of the towers. Five calls from Catherine were made but never went through. Like okay. it just kind of went to voicemail. So that was strange. Mm-hmm. At 9.32 p.m., Charles calls Catherine. The call connects to a tower near Rancho Cucamonga. After this call, his phone is off the grid again until 7.30 the next morning. Oh, man. Okay. All night and morning. Right. At 7.56 a.m. the next day, Joseph's QuickBooks was logged in at the McStay family computer. A check was added and then deleted and then signed off again. At what was the amount for it and who was it made out to? I don't have that information. Okay. It was just like just like little details of the timestamps because this happened, but by this time the mixed days most likely weren't alive. So it's like yeah. but all these like checks and like weird like phone calls and stuff. So let's see. Did um did Chase's girlfriend happen to say like the times that she did get to speak to him on the phone, how his demeanor was, like how he sounded. I didn't um, see any information about her specifically. I know obviously they, they did interview her, but I believe at the time she had no idea what was going on. Okay. And um, I, I mean, maybe she did, but unfortunately I don't know too much about that. Yeah. I wish I did. <laughs> There's yeah. so many so many videos on this. I like all trial videos. But um let's see. On February 5th, four more checks were created. All four of them were backdated to the previous day of the disappearance. So were, they were all made while to the McSee family was alive and well. Mm-hmm. Wow. And um let's see. Charles's cell phone keeps going off the grid. Like it, it just there's this, like this whole list of times where he just he's gone for hours. His phone is turned off, airplane mode, or he's out in the middle of the desert. Maybe uh-huh. February eighth comes around. That's when the trooper, um, the family car, the Souza trooper, was towed in San Ysidro. Charles's uh, cell phone was off the grid that day. From 7.26 p.m. to 1.31 a.m. Wow. <laughs> so, I don't know. Like, yeah. What the hell is he doing? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think hardly any of us ever really turn our phone off. And no. certainly not that long. Exactly. Right? Like, what's the real reason for doing that? Unless you're literally hiding or you're on a plane. <laughs> right. So, um, when, let's see. February 8th, the day the trooper was towed, QuickBooks is accessed again at 2.20 p.m. with another check added and deleted. A 107-minute call was made to QuickBooks customer service. The caller identified himself as Joseph McStay. 
but he was calling from Charles's cell phone. Oh, please. <laughs> oh, my God. What you doing there, Charles? Yeah. Um, Charles told the police that Joseph gave him his credit card number, and he was just trying to help him get a new version of QuickBooks. That's it. Fucking liar. <laughs> Fucking liar. Um, on February 9th, the next day, Another call to QuickBooks customer service was made from Charles's phone. The representative they spoke to said that, quote unquote, Joseph was adamant on needing all the accounts deleted. And he even wrote a note in the file in all caps saying, needs all info deleted. For what? To get rid of everything. Have it, yeah. And just start a new life pretending to be Joseph McStay. God. <laughs> What an idiot. I know this guy is so dumb. I'm glad he's dumb, but I, Me too. I'm just like, right. why did you have to do this in the first place, right? Yeah. That same day, Charles's cell phone was pinged at multiple casinos. Pala Casino, he um, was w- the main one he liked the most. And he withdrew hundreds and thousands of dollars. So, wow. That? So, after all that evidence, I just wanted to Wait, include all that. He's withdrawing all of that damn money and he owes Joseph 40 something thousand. Yeah. Yep. There was actually, I didn't include this, but I um, during the prosecutor's uh, opening statement, he did mention that one check was made out to Charles Merritt from the QuickBooks. And it was basically like the exact amount that he owed Joseph. Like it was so, so dumb. And the memo said something like, "Oh, like um, you know, oh, uh, something like a off right check, like oh, the paying back, blah blah blah, yeah. kind of thing." Wow. And it was just like so. <laughs> so I just wanted to include all that evidence. There's like way more details, but just all the damning evidence and just all the crap that this guy did, because. In the end, in conclusion, of course, um, Charles Chase Merritt was found guilty of murder of all four counts, the McStay family. This was on June 10th of 2019. And um, And it was just, I mean, because it was all circumstantial evidence that they had. What what did he say? Like, did they, obviously they had to ask him, like, what were you doing on this day, the day that they went missing? Yeah. Yeah, so like, like literally he said that he what he what he had met up with Joseph for lunch. They spoke for a while and then he left and then he called him back that night at like 9:30 p.m., but he didn't answer because he was watching a movie. Right. But but what was his excuse for having his phone turned off those different days and the times? Um he probably said something like, oh, my phone doesn't work well, or I had to turn it off to keep the battery on, or I was out in the desert. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. They This is like all the information they found um, way later, like after they found the bodies. So okay. they were slowly collecting everything and then finally wanted to just put this guy away and that there could be no doubt that he is the person who murdered the McStay family. I um, wonder, because I'm just imagining... It's two adults and two children. And if it's him alone, I mean, I suppose he can, 
you know, kill the father first, assuming he's like the stronger one. And then the wife and the kids. I don't know. I, wonder I think if he so. Help him. Like, did he hang out with shady people? I don't think so. I, I really think he did all this on his own. And yeah. I think the reason why um, Joseph had a quarter on his neck, he had a red like tie around his lower butt, like his arms were tied down and he was halfway in a cushion. I think because okay. he was the stronger me- uh, member that he had to take down first. Right. Although he got into an altercation with him and decided, okay, I'm going to choke this guy out, wrap him yeah. up, attack the wife, get rid of the wife and the two little kids, and then haul him away and um, drive the truck to freaking San Ysidro pretend make try to make it look like they just left to Mexico or something yeah you know and then he logged on in QuickBooks got all the money he wanted and pretended like Joseph was still making deals and calling the bank and I mean not calling bank, calling QuickBooks and stuff like that and yeah he just he put them out in the desert at some point but um oh and another thing uh the reason why we know that um Charles did drive the Isuzu trooper down to Mexico. He had stated in an interview that he never drove the truck. He was always a passenger or in the back seat. Like he mm-hmm. was never a driver. But they found his fingerprints on the steering wheel, all over the oh, steering wheel, the wow. driver's door, like the mirror, like, you know. So that's right. just another little thing. So um uh that was he was sentenced. He was found guilty on June 10th, 2019. January 21st of 2020, Charles was sentenced to life in prison. Uh, that same month, June 24th, the jury recommended that Merritt, or Charles Merritt, be sentenced to death. The court upheld the jury's recommendation, and Merritt was sentenced to death on January 21st of 2020. Wow. So that was pretty cool. Not cool, yeah. but, you know. <laughs> yeah. Justice. <laughs> yes. Um, so he was given the death penalty for killing Joseph Summer, Gianni, and Joseph Jr. McStay. Now, uh, Charles Merritt is currently rotting in San Quentin State Prison on death row. He is currently 64 years old. Wow. And that is the story of the disappearance and murder of the McStay family. That is so sad because yeah. I just like... I imagine the two kids witnessed the parents getting murdered before yeah. they were murdered themselves. Like they were eating popcorn and painting and like, you know, doing arts and crafts and stuff, just having a normal family night right. and all this stuff happened. Money, like addiction, because gambling is yep. an addiction. Like, yep. And if he had that past history. Yeah. Of, lots of uh, robbery. Theft. Theft, mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So very, very sad story, but um, I'm just glad that Merritt, Charles Merritt was just a total moron and didn't understand. He thought turning off his phone would like help him or typing in his name as Charles Charles Merritt into QuickBooks all lowercase, like as if none of this was suspicious. It's just so, it's such a, what's it called? Like a, just a dumb, just a dumb thing to happen. A, just a terrible crime that should never have happened in the first place. It and, never needed to happen. Yeah. And like what we were saying in the beginning, it's like, it sucks that I get the feeling Joseph 
was just trying to give this guy a chance and wanted right. to do business with him. They became friends. And a he good guy him, loaning him money. Loaning him thousands of dollars, like, yeah. personally and business-wise. Like, he was putting his own business at stake, like, and I don't know. It's just... And they were so see. young. They were in yeah. their early 40s. Like, that's yeah. so awful. And the two babies, like, I can't believe they... The fact that they he just demolished all four of them. That's just, I can't even imagine, like, no. what they went through. It's just awful. Knowing, too, that the the um, the weapon was a freaking sledgehammer. It oh. was blunt force trauma. That's so, just so awful. It is. I'm just glad, though, they did get their justice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So that was the case of the disappearance and murder of the McStay family. Rest in peace to Joseph, Summer, Gianni, and Joseph Jr. Yes. Rest so, in peace to the entire family. Sad yes. story, but I'm glad they got the justice that they deserve. Yes, definitely. And next recording, I will be doing my episode. Um, Yay. God, I kind of want to give a hint. <gasps> Ooh, a hint? Okay. Okay. So this person has the same job title as I do. And oh. they were a serial killer. <laughs> no way. Another serial killer? Yeah. What? Okay. Oh, that's weird because we don't have a lot of serial killers in San Diego. No. I mean, the serial killer, it's if you murder three or more people and this three was more. three that we oh, know of. Okay. Who knows if he had more. Oh, interesting. I don't even, I can't think of anything. Uh-huh. But I'm excited to hear. Don't you go googling anything? I know, it has I know, to be a surprise. I know. I won't. I won't. I, I like it to be a surprise. That way, I react to like, oh, what? You know, right? Not pretending. <laughs> right. Oh, well, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you so much. Bye. See you next time. Bye.